right, you may be seated. I want to invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to the book of Acts. We'll be back in Acts chapter 11 together this morning, beginning in verse 19. And we'll read through the end of the chapter. And if you remember what we have been studying from this particular passage of Scripture really is uh, looking at what it looks like to have the right heart attitudes while you're living in the middle of God's unfolding plan. The right heart attitude, proper heart attitudes that we need to have as we live in the middle of God's unfolding redemptive plan. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful for this moment in time, Lord. God, we are grateful for this place to gather. God, we are thankful for your provision for this property. And Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, for the provision of your word. That in your unbelievable kindness and goodness and mercy and compassion and grace, Lord, you would see fit to give us a copy of what you would want us to know about yourself, of who you are and what you're like, of how you work in the world that you are sovereign and that you are good and that you have a plan and your plan is unfolding and that you will accomplish your plan. God, your word tells us about our need for Christ, that our problem is that we are dead in our sin, dead in our trespasses, guilty before you and under your wrath, and we really do need someone to rescue us, that we can never be good enough that you sent Christ to live, to die, to be buried, to rise again, securing and, and sealing the pardon for those who would trust him. We are grateful, beyond grateful. God, I, I, I just humbled, Lord. I, I pray, God, that you, in your goodness to us, that you minister to our hearts right now you minister your word to us, Lord. That, God, you open our spiritual eyes today. That you open our spiritual ears today. That you work in our hearts today. Father, humbly, we ask that you reprove us where we need to be reproved and correct us where we need to be corrected and encourage us where we need to be encouraged and challenge us where we need to be challenged and lead us to repentance, lead us to faith. We want our hearts to be laid before you, God, in humility and in submission. As our brother Eric, our pastor, reminded us, Lord, your word is authoritative. So all of our thoughts and all of our feelings and all of our emotions and all of our circumstances and all of the things that are swirling in our hearts right now, we just really want to bring before the feet of King Jesus and place ourselves underneath his authority and underneath his word. 
things that we've asked, Lord, we know that we can't do those. You have to do those in us. And so, God, that's what our prayer is, that you do for us what we can't do for ourselves. God, change us, we beg. Help us to see Christ, to be changed by Christ, and to become more like Christ this day. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, if you remember last week when we began to look through these proper heart attitudes that we need to have, <clears throat> excuse me, as we live within God's unfolding redemptive plan, we looked at two of those. Really, the, the, the first one that we looked at, if you remember, came from verse 19, and it had to do with having a submissive heart and a willing spirit. We likened it to being scattered like seed. In that verse, in verse 19, it talked about how the Christians were scattered because of the persecution of Stephen. And we talked about how that was a passive verb. And really, it talked about that God in his goodness and God in his grace and God in his kindness sovereignly scattered those believers across the landscape of, that wor of the world at that time for the sole purpose of expanding the kingdom. And when they got to where God wanted them to be, they bloomed where they, had plant they were planted. Because that was the second heart attitude, that once God places you where he wants you, once God sovereignly puts you where he wants you, once God sovereignly scatters you where he wants you, then it's your responsibility to bloom where you planted. And what I mean by that, if we looked at the text again in verses 19, 20, and 21, is those Christians in the first century, they got to work. And what I mean by that is that not that they started new businesses, not that they were entrepreneurs, I don't mean it like that, but what I mean is they got to work making disciples. That's what they were doing. Think about Antioch. Do you remember what we talked about last week? It was the third largest city in the Roman nation, in the Roman Empire. It was the center of the worship for Daphne. Not off of Scooby-Doo. Okay, that was a bad joke. Sorry, that was a dad joke. Inserted dad joke. Bad dad joke. Sorry. Not Daphne off of Scooby-Doo, but instead it was, a, it was a Roman god. And with that Roman god came a lot of worship, not only of idolatry, but a lot of immorality as well. So Antioch was a place that was filled up with immorality. Antioch also, if you remember, I told you it was a place of, filled up with materialism. It was a wicked place. It was notorious. It had a reputation for being a pagan nation. Now think about this, God in his goodness and God in his kindness uprooted people from Jerusalem because of the persecution of Stephen and sovereignly planted them right in the middle of a pagan nation. Don't forget, by the way, we talked about this before over the years, but the emperor required you to worship him as a deity as well. So not only were, were there idolatry with the worship of Daphne and all the garbage that came with that not only was there materialism with all the garbage that came with that not only was there immorality with all the garbage that came with that but then there was this other garbage that led christians to be persecuted in the roman Colosseums because the emperor required worship of him as well kind of puts perspective on the nation of america right now does it not that god has placed us for such a time as this in a pagan nation it's turned their back on God, but yet God has given us a responsibility and a calling to live out the gospel where he's planted us. 
for such a time as this. It's what we talked about last week, that in order to do that, we needed to have a submissive spirit, a willing spirit. Lord, I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll embrace that calling. And when I get there, I'll make disciples. It was really cool. If you remember, we talked about how they began to first share the gospel with the Jews. And then there were some guys from Cyprus and Cyrene that must have been like Pastor Tom and just could not help but share the gospel with everybody. Because they looked at these other people in the Gentiles, these other Gentiles in, in Antioch and said, you know what? We can't just stop with the Jews. We've got to go to everybody. And if you remember, we talked about how there was a revival that broke out, how the hand of the Lord was with them and blessed their efforts. And it's the biggest movement other than Pentecost. It's the biggest movement that we've seen, definitely the biggest movement among the Gentiles that we've seen so far in the book of Acts of people coming to faith in Christ. And if you remember, I told you that the church of Antioch would become a bedrock church for centuries. Because of these faithful brothers and sisters that shared the gospel. And let me say this last thing and then I'm going to move on. You ready? Because I forgot to do this last week, but I'm going to do it this week. If you looked at 19, 20, and 21 of chapter 11, one of the things that you would discover is, when we read it in just a second... Those Christians that shared the gospel where it exploded, they were not pastors. They were not apostles. They were just average, ordinary people that loved Jesus and loved others. And God blessed their efforts. So this morning, here's where we're headed. This morning, the last hard attitude that I want to bring out is this from the text. It'll be from verses 22 all the way down to the end of the chapter. In the middle of God's unfolding redemptive plan where he sovereignly placed you and as you're blooming where you've planted and as you're sharing the gospel, the other heart attitude that you must have, that you must beg for, that you must cultivate in your heart is to have the heart of a missionary. The heart of a missionary. Look with me at the text. Look at verse 19. The Bible says, now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except the Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came, he saw the grace of God. He was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch... The disciples were first called Christians. 
Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine all over, over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Look at your Bible with me. I want you to focus. We're going to pick up in verse 22. The right heart attitude that you have to have again while you're living in the middle of God's unfolding plan for your life really is having a heart of a, of a missionary. So I'm going to give you the application first. And then we'll do more application later. You ready? Here we go. I want you to think about this as we move along. This is a question I want you to wrestle with in your heart. Do I live as a missionary where the Lord has placed me? Do I live as a missionary where the Lord has placed me? I really want you to wrestle with that this morning. And I really want you to think about that this morning. Because I'm afraid that in reality, because we've been affected by the American church culture more than we care to admit, the, the reality is there's been this thing that's happened in the American church culture over the years <coughs> called pragmatism. And one of the ways that pragmatism has worked itself out in evangelical life in the church in America it's through the professionalization of ministry. And it's really led to this hierarchical system, if you will, that, that a lot of people have wrongly come to the conclusion that only pastors can do this type of work and only spiritual people can do this kind of work and only missionaries can do this kind of work. But in reality, every one of us are called to live as missionaries. Every one of us are called to take the gospel Every one of us are called to make disciples. Every single one of us are called to do these things. The Great Commission was given to every Christian, not just the apostles, not just the pastors, not just the missionaries on the foreign field, but all of us. All of us have been called to make disciples. I really want you to wrestle with that question. Where you're at Whatever that looks like, a stay-at-home homeschooling mom, working at Publix, a school teacher, a chef, what, whatever it is that you're doing, whatever God has called you to do, whatever you're doing, are you bringing the gospel to bear where he's planted you? Are you making disciples? Are you living as a missionary? Now, I want you to think about this. When a missionary goes to a foreign country, what do they do? Well, they're a citizen, let's say, in this case, of America. And they move, let's say, like, let's just use Greg and Kilby as an example, since they are now in Uganda. So they leave America behind, and they go to a foreign land. And they plant themselves there, and they begin to live their life there. 
with intentionality and with purpose and with focus and with drive and with determination and with prayer and with fasting and with time in the word and with time with the Lord determining to make disciples and blooming where they've been planted. Amen. They live in a country where there could be a lot of political unrest like Greg and Kilby are undergoing right now. The last text I got from him, I believe, was on Tuesday. He said, Brother, pray for us because of the political unrest in Uganda due to the elections. And then the government shut the Internet off. So I haven't heard from him. Praise God, the Lord knows. That's our great comfort. But think about this. He's informed about what's happening. He knows what's happening. He makes decisions based on what's happening. But regardless of what's happening in Uganda, his calling is the same to bloom where he's planted and make disciples where he's been placed by God. So I come back down to the question that I asked you at the beginning. Do you have that type of mindset where God's placed you in America, in Okeechobee, or wherever it is that God may take you? Here's what I'm trying to tell you. Here's what I'm trying to get you to think about. Brothers, sisters, the Bible tells us when you placed your faith and trust in Christ, you became a kingdom citizen. You got a new visa. You got a new ID card. You got a new citizenship. And it's not Uganda, and it's not America, and it's not Ghana. It's not anywhere other than heaven. Amen? You got a new citizenship. That means that it doesn't matter where God takes you in this world. That country that you are living in is not ultimately your home. It's not. And our calling is to make disciples as we go in that place, wherever it is. So I ask you again for the third time or fourth time. Are you living as a missionary where God has planted you? Fasting and praying and thinking about witnessing in the gospel and making disciples. Are you intentional? Are you determined? Are you faithful? Have you quit? Are you discouraged? Are you pressing on? I don't know where you're at this morning, but what I do know is this. The adversities and the hardship and the circumstances that you're facing, first century Christians would have faced as well. And we see these people come to faith in Christ. And one of the things that we notice in our passage is that Barnabas has a heart of a missionary. I mean, if there was anybody that would hold up to you of what it looks like to be a missionary, it would be Barnabas. Notice with me at the text. I'm going to do this. You ready? You're not going to believe me, but I'm going to do this. I'm going to give you like nine different things. And I didn't tell you beforehand to pack a lunch. We're going to do this. We're not going to be here till one o'clock, I promise. Because we're going to go pretty quick. 
But I'm going to give you like nine different characteristics of Barnabas' life of what it looks like to be a missionary. Notice with me in verse 22. So all these people come to faith in Christ. And it reaches the leaders in Jerusalem. It reaches the church of Jerusalem. And they, they, they send somebody to go check out the work. Who do they send? They sent Barnabas. I want you to think about this. He didn't volunteer necessarily. He was chosen. He was chosen. He was chosen by the church because of the man that he was, because of his character, because of his integrity, because of his faithfulness, because of, of his heart for the Lord and his heart for the church and his heart for God's people. I don't know if you realize this about Barnabas, but everywhere that Barnabas goes, the spiritual health of the situation that he finds himself in gets better. Have you noticed that about him? I mean, everywhere he goes, he's encouraging. He's strengthening. He's helping. He's aiding. He's praying. He's doing all of these things. Listen, this is a spiritually healthy Christian. He's not spiritually toxic. He's not negative. He's not judgmental. He's not critical. He's not any of those things. Everywhere this brother goes, spiritual life erupts. And the people that come in contact with him become more spiritually healthy. That's why they chose him. Think about this. They look at his life and say, brother, we look at your life and we want, we want to send you because you're the right man for this job. By the way, if you went back earlier in the book of Acts, do you know where he was from? He was a native of Cyprus. <laughs> so ethnically, he was the right man for the job. But more than that, spiritually, he was the right man for the job. They chose him and they sent him, which means he had to be what? He had to be willing to go. He had to be willing to go. Remember when we talked about him before? Barnabas was the kind of man that saw a need and met the need. Do you remember that? He saw the need and he met the need. He had to be attentive and then he had to be willing. He had to be willing to be uprooted from Jerusalem. He had to be willing to be uprooted from his comfort. He had to be willing to be uprooted from the ministry that he was involved in. He had to be uprooted from his friends. He had to be uprooted from his family. He had to be willing to be sent. And he goes. So number one, he had a submissive spirit. Number two, when he gets there, look at the text. Look at verse 23. The second hard attitude of a missionary, not only is he willing, but when he gets there, he saw the grace of God. Brothers and sisters, can I just be honest with you? Sometimes God doesn't use us to the, full, to the fullest potential because our hearts just aren't right. When we go into a situation, we just don't look at it with the right eyes. And we don't look at it with the right hearts. We look at what's wrong with everything and everybody that's around us. We pick them apart. We're negative. We're judgmental. We're critical. Remember where I told you Antioch was and what Antioch was like when he goes there. This was a pagan nation. This was an immoral nation, an evil, wicked place. But when he goes there, he's not focused on the evil, wicked 
place, what's he focused on? Man, he's just looking in the darkness and he says, I see a great light. I see God working. I see God saving. I see God calling. I see God changing. I see the grace of God at work. That takes intentionality, brothers and sisters. You know what it also takes? You got to pray about that one. You got to pray about that one. You got to say, Lord, help me have new eyes to see what you're doing, to see where you're at work, to look for the evidences of grace. And that's really the second characteristic that a, that a missionary has a heart where they look for the evidences of grace. Will they see areas where there's growth and change that need to take place? Absolutely. But they focus more, not on the negative, but they focus on what God's doing. It's really awesome. <clears throat> Let's just remind ourselves what grace is. Grace is God's unmerited favor. That's what it is. It's when God gives us what we don't deserve. Can I ask you a question this morning? Is there anything that we have in our life that we deserve? No. The heartbeat we don't deserve. The breath in our lungs we don't deserve. The jobs we have we don't deserve. The income we have we don't deserve. The family we have we don't deserve. Salvation, if you're in Christ that you have, you don't deserve. If you're not in Christ, the offer of salvation to you this morning that he'll save you if you cry out to him in repentance and faith, you don't deserve. But the heart of a missionary is a heart that sees where God is at work. Third, look at the text. Not only did he have the right eyes, but look at verse 23. He was glad. Here's what this means. When he saw where God was working, and he saw what God was doing, and he saw how God was saving and he saw how God was transforming. And he saw all of the things that God miraculously was doing through the ministry of the Spirit and the Word. He was joyful. Did you know that one of the best litmus tests of how you're doing spiritually is what you find joy in? Did you know that? Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. It's an evidence of walking with Christ. Boy, I tell you what, you start drifting away from the Lord and one of the first things that happens is your heart gets cold and your heart gets hard and you lack what? You lack joy. And you can hear a missionary report and you just sit there like, and it rolls, it's like water off a duck's back. It just goes right off of you and you don't really think nothing of it because your heart's not in the right place. But it's different. When your heart's in the right place, it's different. And when you hear those missionary reports and you hear about somebody coming to faith in Christ, you hear about a church being planted, you hear about a missionary on the mission field, you hear about someone sharing the gospel, man, there's joy that erupts from your heart. You're thankful. Look at the kingdom go. Look at the kingdom advance. There it goes again. It can't be stopped. It's unstoppable. It will advance again and again and again and again and farther and farther and farther and farther. God will save his people. He will. And when our hearts are in the right place, man, that's awesome. 
When our hearts aren't in the right place, pretty indifferent. The heart of a missionary is a heart that rejoices when God's kingdom advances. Look with me at the text again. Notice what he does. And praise God for this, because I think this is a struggle for all of us. So look back at the text. So he sees God's grace. He's rejoicing in what he's seeing. And then what does he do next? He exhorts them. He challenges them. What does he tell them? To remain what? To remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Man, this is so cool. You know what he's basically saying? When he's talking about all this uh, steadfast and being faithful, you know what it means in the original language? To keep on. He's challenging them to keep on. Billy, my first Sunday here at Everglades. Miss Amy, my first Sunday here. I'll never forget it was the day that y'all were baptized. I'm grateful for that day for many reasons. If you don't know it, they were baptized in a pool just right over here. Really awesome. If I were to interview, right, interview you right now and I were to ask you, what was that, 14 years ago? 13 years, long time ago now. I had red hair, now I got gray hair and I'm gray in my beard. You got gray in your beard, Billy. Calling you out like that. Sorry about that, but I love you. You've had to press on, haven't you? Brothers and sisters, I just want to tell you as a believer in Jesus Christ, once you place your faith in Jesus Christ, some of you already know this, it's hard. Because all of a sudden, you don't belong to the world anymore. Your thoughts have changed, your heart has changed, your affections have changed, your desires have changed, and the world looks at you like you've got 15 eyeballs right in the middle of your head, and they say, man, what is wrong with you and the way that you think and the decisions that you make? But there's nothing wrong with you. <laughs> you've been moved to a different kingdom. And so, therefore, it's hard. And if, I, if we did a survey real quick... And I were to ask you by show of hands, how many of you have tried to quit or want to quit or get discouraged right now? And you're just like, man, I'm just done. I can't do this anymore. Praise God, he won't let us stay there. Listen, these first century Christians lived in a pagan world. Emperor worship, immorality, all the things that we've talked about earlier. There was a reason why he looked at them and said this. I praise God for what he's doing in your life, but you need to remember this. What you need to remember is you need to keep on keeping on, press on, don't quit, don't go back, don't stand still, keep moving forward. Even if it's at a snail's pace, keep moving forward. Now there's one other thing I want to bring out about this. Notice the text. He says, remain faithful to the Lord with a steadfast purpose. The English translation doesn't bring it out, but in the Greek, what's attached there is the word cardias, which is where we get our English word cardiac from. 
which is where we get our word heart from. Why would that be important that he said, keep on with your heart? Why would, he, why would that be important? Well, you know it. It's because it's at the heart level. The heart is the seat of our emotions. Jesus was really clear. It's because of the things that's on the inside of you that you do what you do. And so what he's saying is this. There's not enough mental willpower. There's not enough self-help books that you can read. There aren't enough five lists to succeed as a Christian. These are five ways. No, you have to determine and pray to God. And praise God he won't leave us either. That he helps you persevere and to keep on. It's got to be a heart thing. Starts there. Have you ever read biographies about how hard it is for missionaries? It's not easy. It's very difficult. Their life on a farm field is no different than our life here in an American field. But if you're going to be faithful to the calling and make disciples, you've got to press on. You've got to keep going. Let me ask you a question. How helpful is it to lead someone in Christ, lead someone to faith in Christ, and then you just quit walking with Christ? Is that helpful for them? No. You've got to be committed to press on and keep on and keep going. You've got to be committed to where God's placed you. You've got to be committed to where God's planted you. It starts at the heart level and it works itself out from there. Look back at the text. That's not all. He exhorts them to remain faithful. That was the fourth characteristic. Now notice the, the text in verse 24. The Bible says he was a good man. That word good means useful or profitable. Boy, is that ever true of Barnabas? He's been used by God over and over again. So listen, at the heart level... For a, to have a missional spirit where God's placed you, you've got to have a desire to be used. Got to have a desire to be used. Remember Isaiah? When he said in what, Isaiah 6? Here I am, send me. It's a heart that wants to be used. So I ask you this morning, as you're living in Okeechobee or wherever God's planted you in the world or wherever God may take you in the future. But since we're talking right now, let me ask you right now. Do you have a desire to even be used by God? Or are you just going through the motions and so complacent that you're just kind of, you're just like a raft going down the river, taking wherever the current, get, wherever the current leads you? Listen, I want to challenge you. To pray, God, use me. Somehow, someway, use me to advance the kingdom. It would be horrible to come to the end of your life and then have to stand before God and have to give an account for the fact that at your heart level you didn't have a desire to be used. Not only that, but look at the text next. Sixth, the Bible says he was full of the Holy Spirit. Full of the Holy Spirit. Pastor Eric's helped us out so much in this, and we've looked at this in Acts, but this is not a second blessing or some kind of 
bad teaching of pneumatology and the Holy Spirit. It's not that. It's just the fact that this, you must be born again. <laughs> you must be born again. You must turn from your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that when we're born again, the Spirit comes and lives inside of us. And then it's our responsibility. The, work, the Spirit works in us. And then it's our responsibility as well. In Galatians, Paul says, keep in step with the Spirit. Spend time with God to be in His Word, to be praying, those types of things. But here's what I want to hit on this morning. We haven't talked about this in a while. To be full of the Holy Spirit, to be in step with the Spirit, means I can't be living in a way that I'm grieving the Spirit. Ephesians talks about grieving the Spirit. You know how you grieve the Spirit? A hard heart. A hard heart that's developed over time like calluses on someone's hands or feet. They develop on our heart because we're not confessing our sin before God. We're not, we're not confessing our sin. We're living with unrepentant sin in our life. And it grieves the Spirit. It's hard to be filled with the Holy Spirit if we're not repenting of our sin. If we're not asking God the same thing that David said in Psalm 51. Search me, O God, and try me. See if there is any wicked way in me. And lead me in your way. That's the hard attitude that we have to have. So I wonder this morning, where God has planted you, if you have a heart that's sensitive to God, are you grieving the Spirit? Is there unrepentant sin in your life and in your heart that's preventing you from being filled with the Spirit? Do we need to be useful? Absolutely. But let's think about this. A sharp axe sure does chop better than a dull one. And a heart that's been sharpened by a love relationship with Christ, that's soft before Him, that's repentant before Him, that's confessing sin and not grieving the Spirit, is a whole lot sharper than one that's complacent and filled up with unrepentant sin. Barnabas is marked by being filled with the Holy Spirit. Next, look at the text. The Bible says... That he was filled with faith. This really is just talking about the fact that his life was filled with a confident assurance in the things that he believed. And the things that he believed shaped the way that he lived. He knew that it was true and he was willing to stake his life on what he knew was true. To be a missionary in the world, you have to be willing to die for what you believe. That's how confident you have to be in the gospel. That's how confident you have to be in the word. You remember the story I've told you about Jim Elliot after he died when Elizabeth Elliot said this about him. People were hailing them as martyrs and heroes. But in reality, the fact that Jim died was just a logical conclusion that he had already died to himself earlier in his life. For the Christian brothers and sisters, for the Christian, we've already died. Our life has been hidden in Christ. We've been buried with him in baptism, right? We've, We've already died. We've been raised to walk in the newness of life. So why is it sometimes that we get caught up in living for the world instead of living for God? He was filled with faith. Not only that, number eight, I want to show you this. He was team-oriented. He was team-oriented. Notice the text. This is so cool, guys. Look at the text. 
So Barnabas went where? He went to Tarsus to look for Saul. That word look for in the original language, it paints a picture for us that he with purposeful intent went to Tarsus, not knowing where Saul was, but he was not going to rest until he found him. You ever lost your iPhone? You ever lost your keys? It don't matter what's happening in the world. You will turn your house upside down to find those keys, won't you? Or your phone. Or your dog. Maybe you lost your dog. I don't know. But you get the point. It's that type of focus, that type of intentionality. Nothing else matters right now, but I've got to find what I'm looking for. Barnabas was looking for Saul. Now think about that. There's a huge work that just exploded. People are coming to faith in Christ. They're all these baby Christians. But Barnabas isn't selfish. The ministry was not about him. He knew that he did not have all the gifting. He did not have all the talents. He did not all have all the abilities. He needed to get help. So what does he do? He goes to get a brother that he's already spent time with. He's already discipled. He goes and he gets Saul and he brings Saul back with him. And together as a team, these two brothers work together for the spiritual good of the local church in Antioch. That is awesome. So to have a heart of a missionary, this is not about being a lone ranger and going to take on hell with a squirt gun. That's not what this is about. This is about praying and saying, Lord, put me in a team so that I can reach the world for Christ so I can be a tool in your hands. Can I tell you something? If you're a member of Everglades Baptist Church, he's already put you on a team. He made you a member of the church. 1 Corinthians 12 is clear. He put you here for a reason. So you don't have to search for a team. You already got one. And what it really is about is saying, Lord, I want to be a part of the team. I want to be a part of the work. I want to be a part of the, the disciple making. I want to share the gospel. I want to come alongside others and pour into them and make disciples and, and help the weak ones grow and encourage the strong ones to keep going. I want to take the gospel to those who have never heard. That's the team I want to be on. And I'll go ahead and tell you right now, as clear as I can, that's Pastor Jim's heart. That's Pastor Eric's heart. And that's my heart. That's the kind of team that we want to lead. We don't want to lead a team that's complacent and comfortable and just trying to, trying to do stuff for ourselves to make us, ourselves feel good. No, we want to lead the church to shape the nations for Christ. That's what we want to do. Once you be a part of the team, when you look at Barnabas, that's exactly what he does. It's really awesome. Number nine. Number nine. He was committed to the church. How long did they teach and how long did they preach when they got back to Antioch and they worked together? For a whole year, they were intentional. Day in, day out, making disciples. Day in, day out, making disciples. Day in, day out, loving and ministering and caring and helping for a whole year. It's pretty awesome. 
I already hit on this once, but I'm going to go there again. you got to be committed, guys. you got to be all in. If you're going to be a missionary, you got to be all in. You can't have one foot in Okeechobee and one foot in the kingdom. you got to have both, in, both feet in the kingdom. you got to have both feet in the kingdom. That's the way it works. Finally, this is really cool. The 10th characteristic. This church in Antioch was generous. I don't know if you've noticed this, but missionaries are generous. Boy, they give, they'll give you their shirt off their back. Some of us on the building team are reading a story, a biography about George Mueller. There's no telling how much money came through his hands that he used for the orphanage, but do you know how much he died with at the end of his life? How much money he had in the bank account? You know how much assets he had, both his money in the bank and, and his personal belongings? 160 pounds. English money. That's nothing. Why? Because he gave it away and gave it away and gave it away and gave it away and gave it away. He was generous. Look at the text. This prophet named Agabus comes in and he says, hey, there's going to be a famine in Jerusalem. Look at verse 29. This is the church at Antioch. They've been discipled by Barnabas. They've been discipled by Saul. Look at what happens. Saul and Barnabas' teaching is bearing fruit in their lives. Look what happens. The disciples determined, everyone according to their ability, because it looks different for everybody, right? Everyone according to their ability, what were they going to do? Send relief to the brothers living in Jerusalem. They said, hey, look, there's a need. Let's meet that need. Who's that sound like? Barnabas. Isn't that awesome? They saw a need. They met that need. They collected the money. They gave the money and sent it by the hand of Saul and Barnabas back to Jerusalem. They were generous. Can I brag on y'all for just a minute? Just in the last two months, not even two months, months and a half, month and a half, we were able to help a family from Snowbird. We were able to give them a, a love gift for about $500. And we're not a big church. We're a small church. And we're just blue-collar people. Right? There was a need. That need was presented. And you gave to that need. Pastor Jim led us to give to this project in Ghana. To collect money to give for uh, AC units to help missionaries that live there. As of this morning, you know how much money you guys gave? Over $900 for that project. Look at us. Look around. That's awesome. Why? Because it's your missionary heart for the gospel. The generosity that's there as God's been working in your heart and working in your life and transforming you to make you more like Christ. You see a need, and you've met that need. It's really awesome. Now, let me balance that with saying this. God gets the glory for that. Amen? God gets the glory, because we're ultimately bragging on him, what he's doing in us. So those are the characteristics. You didn't think I could do it, but I did it. Those are the hard attitudes that have to be there if you're going to be a missionary in your culture. So let me end with the way that I began. 
Do you live like a missionary where God's planted you? Are you purposeful? Are you intentional? Are you making disciples? Are you generous? Are you committed? Are you on the team? Are you pulling in the same direction? Are you sharing the gospel? So, Pastor Doug, it's just so hard. I get it. It's hard for all of us. I was telling somebody last week, everybody struggles. It's just a matter of what that struggle looks like. First century church, Barnabas sets a great example for us of what it means to be a missionary. Listen, it's the last thing I'll say and I'll pray. So many of the things that we worry about and so many of the things that we think we have to have when our life is over and we stand before God, they're not going to mean squat. What really is going to matter is this. What did I do with this one shot of life that God gave me? Was I a missionary to my culture? Did I bloom where I was planted? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. This is really convicting, God. It's really challenging, but I want to thank you for it. I needed it. We need it. God, it's so easy to look at our country and say everything that's wrong with it. But in reality, we have such a great opportunity, God. There's such darkness around us that you've put us here to be light. Oh, God, help us have the right heart and right perspective and embrace that calling to be missionaries to our culture. God, may we share the gospel with somebody this week. There's just no shortage of lost people around us. God, if we're honest, if we're truly honest before you this morning as we pray and as you probe our heart with your spirit and the word, if we're honest, God, it's real easy just to get caught up in the cares of life. And then we get to the point where we're, maybe we just don't care no more. Forgive us. Thank you that you're patient. Lord, renew within us a passion and a desire and a hunger to make disciples like we've never had before. God, may the greatest days, that how you use us, whatever it looks like, may they be before us and not behind us. May we press on and press on and keep on some more. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I invite you to stand to your feet as we close with song.